Yes, with that republic slowly sinking in the west. <laughs> yes, indeed, I'll tell you. I, I personally, and I, I, I wish I could get uh, unhappy about everything that's happening. I just cannot. I'm just, uh, I'm just uh, psychologically incapable of getting angry about such passing trivia as politics. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that there were guys who went to their grave a hundred years ago still mad about President Johnson. Now, I don't mean Lyndon B. I mean the one that was uh, the one that was impeached. You remember him? Did you ever hear about him? Andrew Johnson? Yes, Andy. Remember, they used to name a lot of guys Andrew in those days, didn't they? But uh, <laughs> today, who, you know, you can't. You. So I just, uh, personally, I cannot get that ex- exercised over it. People write to me and say, Shepard, when are you going to thunder against the evil of the chicanery which is going on in Washington today? Oh, come on. You mean to tell me you want me to add my voice to the giant rising chorus? Chorus. I deplore evil, evil everywhere I see. It breaks out here, it pops out there. Everywhere I look, I see evil. Oh, I am always griping about evil and the chicanery of my fellow men. Oh, I am always complaining about evil, beautiful evil everywhere, everywhere. That was pretty young, wasn't it? Sir, my God, they're not my talent. Let ex-President Agnew handle that one. I'll bet Bud Harrison couldn't even pull that one off. I'm forever dreaming about evil. <laughs> A lot of things. Hey, what are you doing here working with me tonight, huh? Can't understand it. My God, I'm getting the big ones these days. Every time I see you, Herb, I'm immediately reminded of cows. Would you please play my cow music? We have not had an appearance by Clarence to sing a chicken lately, have we? That's a chicken about to lay a square egg. Hold it, hold it. At ease. This is a serious radio station. Yes, indeed. Uh, hey, you know, speaking of uh, of cows, uh, since you remind me of cows every time, it's not the way you're... Uh, you don't really look like a cow, Herb. 
it's just your personality. It's uh, there's a certain uh, kind of uh, warm, uh, friendly, bucolic quality that I. Yes, it's true. I could see you spent some time in Ithaca. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I, I thought it was kind of a nice opening here. Didn't you like that? My song there about evil, chicanery everywhere. It's a, it's a good song. I, I, uh, because you see, it touches upon a basic human problem. Now, it's always assumed that uh, that there is the opposite state, you know, as as to evil. I mean, you cannot say, let's take an electrical principle here. You cannot have a positive charge without a negative charge. That's true. Uh, there's no positive without a negative. Mm-hmm. Yin and yang, right? Okay. It is assumed that since uh, we have defined the part of man's psyche as evil, there is a good side. Mm-hmm. That would be a reasonable assumption, wouldn't it? But uh, since few of us very rarely see that side, it is and remains almost exclusively a theory. Right. <laughs> Although we do see evil consistently. That ain't no theory. So, uh... So then I think we ought to stop defining evil as evil. In other words, if, 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 uh, if there's no such thing as good... How can there be such a thing as evil? I mean, you can't have again. Let's go back to the battery. If uh, if you if you uh, if you have all these negative ions and you can't find any positive ions, you're kind of a baddie in calling them negative ions. You just call them ions, right? I hate to get theoretical at this hour. People's heads got enough problems going anyway without getting theoretical. How many of you uh, have seen a good Lissajou figure recently? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I spend a lot of my weekends just looking at Lissajou figures. Mm-hmm. They're kind of nice. Jerry doesn't even know what the hell we're talking about. Who was Lissajou? He couldn't tell you. Even Will Wing, who edits the New York Times crossword puzzle, could tell you who Lissajou was. How are you, Will? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. You know, I'll, I must say this. I mean, since it's uh, you know, it's uh, it's uh, everything is is beginning to uh, beginning to come apart at the seams all over the world. You know, it's just it it it, it is a truth. It is. Um, we must be thankful for from time to time things which bring a ray of sunshine into one's life. Right. I'm going to be one of those guys today who's, who's going to say for public services. Uh, just for the public service aspect of it, I want to salute a few things that do make life worth living. And I must say that the New York Times crossword puzzle is one of those. Now, for those of you who are not into the crossword puzzle, you do not, you do not uh, understand why I say this. But there are many people who get the Times, who enjoy reading the Times, you know, just sort of peripherally, actually. What they look forward to every day is that little square down at the bottom there next to the truss ads. You know, buried way down there at the bottom, which a lot of people never even look at. Never look at, but I'll tell you, it brings the roses to the cheeks of many people. And there are very few experiences that I, I know of that give you the solid, private satisfaction of actually completing the New York Times weekend crossword puzzle in one sitting. 
One city. Yes, indeed. I have known people who not only... <laughs> I mean, I mean, seriously, I've known people who, who, uh, who, when they got overseas, for example, when they went traveling out of the country... They began every morning. They couldn't figure out what was the matter with them. Every morning, they would, you know, they'd be in such a great place like Constantinople, Istanbul, uh, places like uh, Iraq, you know, places like uh, uh, Bangkok. They'd wake up twitching because they missed the New York Times crossword puzzle. And uh, yes, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a problem. I, I, uh, <laughs> you'd be surprised when when all the news is is is, is cut away from you. Have you ever had a situation where you could get no news of any kind, of any kind, uh, none, none whatsoever, even weather? I'm talking about all news. Now, news does not necessarily mean guys dipping into the till in the postal department or guys uh, being caught uh, running down the street with the contraband tapes. Gordon Liddy sings Harold Arland. By the way, there's a tape thought about just like that. Can you imagine what 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 uh, what uh, what a possibility those presidential tapes are? How many record companies would like to get a hold of those tapes to turn out a two-volume uh, commemorative copy? You know, well, what a fantastic cast! I mean, President Nixon plays President Nixon on this tape. <laughs> James Dean the Third, but I'll bet William Morris would pay a pretty penny for a copy of them tapes, sell them to MGM Records, Capitol. That's a kind of nice tie-in, Capitol Records. You know how you see that, <laughs> George? <laughs> Never let a stone unturned. A turn on stone. That's even better. But uh, nevertheless, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I just think it would make one fantastic LP. You know, if you get a little music done by Mancini behind it, uh, you know, at the dramatic points in the narration, uh, when, uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly what's on the tapes, but everybody has all kinds of conjecturing. I understand that Mr. Nixon's language in private is much different than it is in public. He is not, uh, he is not the kind of speaker, you know, when he's on TV and all that, he seems to be very nervous about saying things, you know, and he talks very, very square and all. I understand that uh, there's another side. Of course, that's true of all of us. So don't try to hide under a rock out there, friend. There's another side to you, too. <laughs> and I <laughs> and, uh, understand uh, that, that, that adds a little raciness to the tapes. But uh, uh, in a sense, uh, you know, in a sense, I, I, I'm one of those few, few people who say that, the, that if that side came out more in Mr. Nixon, uh, it would aid his, his uh, public image with many people. You know, yes, I mean it. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed one of the great uh, contradictions in our, in our, in our attitude towards things? That on the one hand, we we have a practical, we have practically a love affair with crime in a curious way. You see it through the movies. So all kinds of Steve McQueen things called the Getaway, where he's a sort of a groovy bank robber, and everybody kind of digs the fact that he's running away with Ali McGraw. You know. And uh, Gene Hackman, the evil cop, catches him in the end. Uh, we do. We have a curious love affair with crime. It goes all the way back to our love affair with Jesse James and, uh, and the Billy the Kid. 
and uh, how we don't like the guys that caught him. Now that's that's one side of us. It's it's always there. <laughs> how do you like those Louis Prima uh, promotions that come out of it? it when he comes on, do you see that every night? Uh, uh, yeah, this is your, this is your friend, Luigi. You know, Luigi, the great, the lover. And, uh, and then on the other side, all the great Italian songs, Cosi Cosa, all the Valachari, the Luna, and of course the love song from the Godfather. I thought that's kind of nice, the love song from the Godfather. One of the great ethnic classics. This is W O R in the. Uh, Yes, uh, it used to be New York. This is yes, it's still New York, I guess. This is W O R, and we're in New York, the Big Apple, friends. And uh, to make life in the Big Apple a little, a little uh, mellower, I would like to suggest an elegant bottle of Alexis Lachine Beaujolais. It'll go down with your cheese and crackers so beautifully, uh, exciting with all kinds of meals. Whether you're eating bagels and dried locks. Whether you're knocking down uh, meatloaf with the carrots, Alexis Lachine is a versatile anytime wine. Remember, the name Alexis Lachine was a French experience. It'll make your friend Aki sound literate. Alexis Lachine. Alexis Lachine. Yeah. <laughs> Alexis Lachine. Alexis Lachine. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Don't forget, fellow victims out there, if you missed Carnegie Hall, we'll be at Fordham University in the Bronx, the 27th. That's this coming Saturday at 8 p.m., the Campus Center Ballroom. And we're there on behalf of poor, struggling WFUV, which is the uh, Fordham University's radio station. I hate to tell the Fordham people, but they have a very, very noticeable hum on their FM signal. So I'm going to bring, when I come up there to work, I'm going to bring my soldering iron. I'm going to bring my oscilloscope and a couple of extra filters. Maybe we can work out something up there. Okay, fellas? After the show, I'll go to work on the transmitter. I've had some experience with that, too. Ticket information from WFUV. Hi, <laughs> George. 933-2233 is the number. 933-2233. 8 o'clock is the show. You know, uh, while we're on the subject of uh, of uh, man's, uh, let's say, culpability, man's innate evil. Yes, we we uh, we tend to think that there is such a thing as evil, and I I'm uh, I'm not uh, I'm not going to argue that one way or the other. See, this is this is part of our contradiction now today. On the one hand, we crime pictures are getting increasingly uh, with it, you know. With it, I mean, they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the the hero in most of these crime pictures is uh, is a is is either a a bank robber or a guy that's about to heist the jewels. That's called the top copy syndrome. There's thousands. If you notice all all jewel robbers, you know immediately it's going to be a jewel picture when the guy wears a what what appears to be a rubber black suit. What is it with the rubber suits in those pictures? What is it? Do they all wear those suits? Or do they hide most jewels underwater? What is this? And, uh, yeah, and they, they, they tend to climb up and down walls a lot in those pictures. Yeah, up and down ropes, the whole bit. Uh, now, on the other hand, uh, there's another kind of movie that's really based around crashing cars. Uh, thousands of cars are crashed 
in the, in the usual Steve McQueen movie. Also, the usual Burt Reynolds movie. A lot of cars go off of cliffs. You notice that? Rolling end of end, exploding, a great roar at the bottom of the cliff there. And uh, I, uh, I, in all my uh, driving experience, I have been driving since I was roughly three. I have never once seen a car go over a cliff. And yet they, it happens continually in the movies. You notice that? Movies always do reflect life the way they really are. I mean, the way lives really are. Do you agree? Well, not your life, of course. Your poor, sad little tacky life. No, no, no. Steve McQueen's life. Paul Newman's life, which is always exciting. Crashing cars, rolling down over the cliffs. Swinging with uh, Barbara Streisand. Ah, that's not too exciting, though, come to think of it now. Uh, but, uh... <laughs> well, well, what the hell. You can't get them all on the fat part of the bat. But, uh, nevertheless, uh, I do. you got to think about that one now, don't you? Yeah, well, that's, that bat is awful small when you consider how fast that ball moves. I would like to salute the more technological improvements that I've observed in the past year. For one thing, I was uh, intrigued with the, uh, with the, uh, with the uh, practice warm-up bat that the Oakland A's used. That was very interesting. Did you notice that? That's a fascinating. I've, I've been around baseball a long time. I never saw that one. Didn't you see it? Well, it was a device that seemed to have big plastic wings. Yeah, like four or five of them. Looked like a great big uh, potato chopper or something. You know, with the blades, big thing that. And it was red. One guy came out with a green one. I saw that. And they were swinging that baby around. Very interesting. Well, technology, it must work. You saw a little Bert Campanaris catch a hold of that uh, hanging curveball, didn't you? Yes, sir. <laughs> I mean, he only weighs about 40, 50 pounds. He popped that right out. Yes, sir. He, mean little guy, isn't he? Yeah, I like him. He, he runs good. But, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, he's got what they call, he's, uh, he's got what they call a sticky glove, too. Tell you, uh, he, yeah, moves. But, uh, of course, I think that's why, uh, baseball, uh, sort of, in a sense, uh, uh, is a parable on life itself in many ways. It is not always to the huge, to the mean, and the square-jawed that the spoils go. True? And bad guys often win. This is, a, uh, this is so true in real life. I mean, you see Charlie Finley sitting back there cackling? Me. And yet he wins. How do you... You can't... Quote, you, you just can't put that together with your old-fashioned morality. So that's part of our contradiction today. On the one hand, we're all sitting around. Uh, yeah, yeah, in the newest picture, you know, shows that if you can't have, uh, you know, if you can't come right out and have the, uh, uh, have a, a pro-crook movie, which many of them are. The Godfather was vaguely pro-crook, I'll tell you. Yes, indeed. A friendly, warm family life there. Uh, if you uh, can't have that, you have friendly, uh, evil, corrupt cops. That's uh, that's the newest uh, trend. So everything is corrupt, except movie makers. Movie makers and newsmen stand between us and the total decline of civilization. All right, uh, move forward. <laughs> hey, you know, that would make a fantastic new movie. A, a big time. I got an idea for a great movie. Anybody interested in it? Let's put it this way. The leading character in the movie is a big time avuncular father figure 
national celebrity TV newsman. How's that for an interesting start for a movie? Okay? So if any of you guys out there are ready to make a movie, I'm ready to write the script. I might even be ready to play the newsman. I could do it, too. Hear me rattling them papers? Sir. You're John Chancellor rattling papers every night, coast to coast. Right. But uh, seriously, though, I mean, we've got to get back on the uh, the track here. I'm sorry I I uh, moved away from the basic theme of the show, which was the psyche and the nightlife of the cow. Uh, you do remind me of cows, Herb. And uh, there's uh, nothing against you, but that, that's kind of a good statement today because uh, uh, we're beginning to appreciate the... the uh, Let's put it this way, the bucolic life. People, and a lot of people are going out into the country who really don't know much about the bucolic life. Uh, they think, you know, they think they can get it by getting a, a limp Morocco-bound book at uh, Abercrombie and Fitch uh, that they'll learn about the, the life of the, uh, uh, well, you know, the walking around life that's lived in the country. Now, it's not exactly that way. You can read all you want, uh, the whole Earth catalog does not tell you what it's really like out there when 12 million mosquitoes are on one arm alone. One arm. Uh, <laughs> or... <laughs> like... <laughs> I saw one of the funniest... One of the funniest scenes I've seen, you know, when you when you spent much time out there, really yourself, uh, tussling with nature, and uh, at one time, you're listening to a guy, friends, tonight, at one time, who in one 17-month period in his life lived completely under canvas. Now, and I mean, you know, it was not a, uh, a tent set up in the vacant lot down the street from the Horn and Hard Art. Uh, this, was, uh, this was out there where, <laughs> where, where everything is going on. <laughs> and I saw two great incidents this past summer, which... Uh, which again remind me of, of how ignorant my fellow urban man is about what goes on out there in the tall grass. Uh, he, he and it's kind of funny when it would actually, unless it, it it involves tragedy. It's not so funny, but but when it involves just plain, what the hell is this? That gets funny. Like I was up, <laughs> I was up in in uh, in uh, Maine. All right, okay, so. I I, uh, I happened to be out in, a, in, in an area where there was a there was a pretty good untrammeled stretch of woods at one point, and there was a stream running through the woods. Right. Well, a group of uh, of bright-eyed uh, there's a certain kind of bright-eyed, clean-limbed. Uh, let's go out and and spend a month in the woods type that you run into. You know, to get the the guys with the two hundred and fifty dollar packs. They get this aluminum rack and a whole business with the with all kinds of yeah yeah oh it's kind of groovy to see them seeing it yeah seventy five dollar hiking shoes the whole bit see and yeah it's it's a it's a kind of a this see if if you're not aware of what's happening friends that a, a few years ago the average affluent kid in the average uh, uh, prep school world uh, spent two hundred and seventy five dollars for a Spanish handmade guitar is that true? Well, that's over now. He doesn't do that anymore because they rapidly discovered that it's, it's easier to buy a guitar than to learn to play it. So the guitar, the guitar world is slowly sinking in the West. With the rise of Merle Haggard, the, the, the guitar is going down. 
Uh, <laughs> however, you know, talk about talk about that unconscious, total fathead humor. Uh, one of the networks is doing a salute to Opryland, USA. You know what this is? A big country thing. Who do, who they got on it? Carol Lawrence. I I kid you not, friend. <laughs> Starring Carol Lawrence, well-known folk singer, uh, well-known country. Well, not only that, they got Carol Lawrence, and, the, and they have uh, oh, what's that other girl? Hip rock type singer. Oh, 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 uh, Patula Clark. Good God Almighty. Good God Almighty. That's like uh, having a salute to the Washington Redskins offensive line. Starring Woody Allen. Uh, <laughs> you know, well-known line man. But uh, I, I, I saw that. Said, oh, no, no, no. I can see the fine hand of the network executive. See, they want to do a salute. He's heard that country music is getting big, you know? And he, yeah, he says, well, what is this country music? Some guy says, uh, well, you know, country music. He says, well, oh, yeah, well, we ought to do something on that. And so uh, somebody says, well, uh, yeah, well, why don't we go and do a salute to Opryland, USA? He says, Opryland, what, what do you mean? Down at, the, at Lincoln Center? What are you talking about, Opryland? He says, no, Opryland. You know, they got this place out in, in Nashville. See, it's, it's, uh, it's called Opryland. And all these bumpkins, they stand around and they look at Hank Williams' guitar and, uh, you know, other artifacts of the time. I said, what, you mean they got a place out there called Opryland? I says, yeah, Opryland, that's a big thing out there. Why don't we go out and get, get, a, get a network feed, you know, do the whole thing? Uh, well, okay, uh, who are you going to have on it? Guy says, well, how about, uh, how about Loretta Lynn and Merle Haggard? Loretta, who, who are you talking Well, Loretta, what, what do you mean, Loretta? Who's that? Isn't she the one that the years ago sang, uh, I'm dreaming of the white cliffs of Dover. No, 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 that's not Loretta. Loretta Lynn is a, is a country singer, and uh, Merle Haggard is also a country singer. Oh, come on, what cockamamie is this? I never heard of them. What are you talking about? we got to get some names. Listen, I just got a call from Carol Lawrence's agent. Well, let's put Carol Lawrence. Now, there's a name for you. Carol Maria, 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 la la da dee la da 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 la da. Oh, Maria, Maria, Maria. That's uh, that's Seventh Avenue folk music. Bum 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 bum. Civilization marches on. <laughs> but uh, I, I, uh, I, again, I, uh, I, I digress. No, I. I mean, it is. Uh, it's uh, you know, digressions, of course, are really what our lives are composed of. So it is impossible to digress. Once again, we're 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 uh, we're running into that what they call the. The impossibility conundrum. Have you ever heard of this? You have not heard of it? And you you, you even read the Times and you never heard of it. Well, <laughs> it's uh, it's too late in the evening to, to belabor you about the head and shoulders with that blunt instrument. <laughs> the impossibility conundrum. <laughs> yes, he was struck heavily about the head and shoulders with a blunt instrument. 
Yes, we've done all the commercials, and uh, everything's cool. I mean, comparatively. Now, I, I just tell you, see, and I don't think just because uh, just because of the shepherd laughs the laugh of Pagliacci that he is not deeply concerned over the decay of our civilization. None at all. All I got to say is I'm glad I'm around while it's decaying. Have you ever read anything out of the rise and fall and the decline of the Roman, you know, the decline of the Roman? You, you read it all about that? Gibbon, wasn't that his name? Right. Wore an eye patch over one eye. His name was Floyd. Never heard of him, huh? Oh, you stick around, you're going to hear a lot of things from me. And uh, he wrote all about this, you know, how the Romans went downhill. And, and uh, reading about that, I, I, uh, I couldn't help but be struck with a feeling of deja vu. Because they had one hell of a time on the way down. Any good skier will tell you going down is fun and is much more fun than going up. You agree? Mm, absolutely. Indeedy move. Because going up always involves uh, biting the bullet, hard work, struggling. You know, struggling ever upward. And all those ski lift tickets, too, they cost money. And, uh, you know, it's just you pay through the nose to get up there to the top. Oh, boy, when you start sliding down. Woo-wee! <laughs> Is it ever... Uh, speaking of, uh, of sliding down, I have just... Uh, just uh, It just occurs to me... It just occurs to me that, uh, that that's a great parallel between us and and, uh, and a sport figure. Has it occurred to you that America is like a downhill skier who has just lost control? <laughs> yeah, you know, and he had such great form up there about the first 30 feet down the hill, you know? Oh. Well, oh, I was going to tell you about what happened in the woods, wasn't I? Of course. Of course. It was kind of great to see it, too. <laughs> anyway, here are these two, these two, uh, uh, you know, steeped in Thoreau, steeped in, uh, in Walden Pond, uh, with their, with their beautiful uh, Abercrombie and Fitch packs, uh, long hair, you know, and the girl, uh, the, the boy girl came hand in hand, right out of an Eric Siegel novel, and, uh, they were sitting down by the, down by the, uh, the, uh, this little stream, see. So I, I, uh, I was in the in the immediate vicinity, you know, hard-eyed shepherd. So I'm, I'm walking around here, and I, and I knew, see, because this was kind of a vaguely stagnant stream. That the, it was one of those streams that uh, sits a lot of water, hangs on the low, uh, dips there for a long time, and it moves on. And it wasn't your uh, your average uh, sparkling, uh, beautiful, rushing trout stream, but there it was. You know, it was kind of pretty in the sun, hitting it. And so the girl says, oh, my, I would love to go waiting. And uh, so at that point, she, she takes off her $37 Capizio sandals with the uh, hiking, uh, hiking sole. And uh, she, uh, into the water she goes, see. So she's walking around in the water, and I'm watching this thing from a distance there. I was, you know, carrying out. Because I've been, you know, I've been in the woods, and I, I've been there where the woods are woods. So, uh, nevertheless, I, I'm watching them, see, and all of a sudden, she comes walking out, see, to, to, uh, to her, uh, they, they look like a couple right out of a, out of a, out of a magazine cigarette ad, you know, the kind, the natural generation and all that stuff, you know, they only inhale natural smoke into their gut, 
you know, the, <laughs> whatever that is, the natural generation. So uh, nevertheless, they, she comes out, and there was a pregnant pause, and all of a sudden I hear a loud shriek. <laughs> What's this? And it, uh, she was running around with one foot up in the air. And at that point, he comes over, and he shrieked and fell heavily backwards into the weeds. And I said, what's the trouble? And I walked over there, and her and her, and her two feet were covered with leeches. <laughs> now, I don't know whether you know what, most of you don't know what a leech looks like. These two didn't. And, uh, you know, they just don't see those things on, on the wide, wide world of Disney. And uh, you know Disney's world or whatever it is. When you when you go when you go into a beautiful uh, mainstream, you see nothing but beautiful water. But nevertheless, the leech is all. It's, uh, let's face it, part of the uh, ecological chain, and uh, but a mean part, uh, or at least uh, an icky part. Not necessarily mean. <laughs> he had about five leeches, and one of them was between her big toe <laughs> and her next toe. <laughs> and I said, I don't know. And I says, those are leeches. She says, what? I says, those are leeches. She says, they're alive? I says, they sure as hell are. She says, what are they doing? I says, well, they're just sucking your little old blood out. <laughs> well, at that point, I had to carefully remove the leech. He had no idea how to take a leech. You know how to take a leech away, don't you? You know how to do it, Jerry? You don't just grab it and pull it off, because if you do, you're going to be left with a kind of a nasty after effect. So for those of you who are interested in this little bit of... Uh, a uh, little bit of uh, of uh, wood lore. Uh, the the leech is removed by heat. That is correct. Now, um, in spite of the fact you all given up smoking cigarettes, the best the best defense against an operating leech is a cigarette. Okay, <laughs> you light a cigarette and you just go zap, and they fly right off. They they, they don't like that, and the, he flies off completely, which is important. Okay. Now, uh, the leech uh, is uh, something that is not often encountered in, uh, in uh, you know, groovy little stories about the wonderful afternoon we had in the woods. However, uh, there, there was another one, too, that, uh, that I, could, uh, I could be laboring with. You know, speaking of leeches, I'll tell you a little story about leeches, in case you're interested in leeches. Uh, are you? We've never talked about leeches here. I saw a, uh, a, uh, some kind of a strange fantasy fiction, uh, well, uh, you know, have you noticed the proliferation of, of movies relating to evil in the in the supernatural sense? All kinds of supernatural type stuff popping out all over TV. And uh, they all leave you with the, with the belief that the guy that made them really does believe that there are such things as elves and, and goblins and, uh, and uh, not the least of which vampires. Uh, they're all out there. But uh, nevertheless, <laughs> I saw this movie where this girl <laughs> uh, was. There was a shot of her, of her face, and uh, her face was entirely covered with leeches. I mean, leeches, and uh, she was uh, she was the subject of an evil experiment. Well, now, uh, leeches leeches are, are interesting. I, I uh, have you ever seen one, Jerry? You have seen one. You think so. You didn't see one then. <laughs> if you a leech is unmistakable, you cannot say you think you've seen one. Uh, first of all, leeches are highly visible. Uh, yes, they they uh, they're 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 roughly the size. A good leech, yeah, a good leech, good well-fed leech is about the size of a small 
sweet gherkin pickle. The little ones, you know, the midget gherkin pickles. He's shaped somewhat like that, too. He is also as black as the inside of your hat, uh, most of them. Now, not all of them. As a matter of fact, uh, you, you go into leeches. I saw a leech one day in East Africa. I'm going to tell you, in East Africa that must have weighed a pound and a half. I couldn't believe it. I'll tell you, oh, fantastic. Oh, talk about uh, uh, this. This uh, I wish uh, uh, Zoo Parade would do something on leeches. They're, they're, uh, they're interesting. I one time saw a place where I was. This was in the Army again, and we were in a tent. You talk about cows. That, uh, that I, yes, there was, a, there was a guy in the area there that had, well, they were oxen. They weren't really cows like, uh, you know, the kind of cow that you are so familiar with. These are real big, mean-looking oxen with the big hump on the back, the big horns. And uh, there, there, that's just a lot of animal, let me tell you. And uh, these oxen would get in the water there. And the water was brackish, and, and not really brackish, I shouldn't use that phrase. It was tepid, it was warm. Uh, it was uh, and, uh, warm and had a lot of algae and stuff in it. And these, these guys would wander down into it through the mud and into the mud, and, and they would stand in this, this water to cool off. And uh, they'd stand there maybe an hour or two hours, and then they'd slowly come wandering out around about twilight time. They'd come wandering out and come up on the bank, and uh, these babies would be covered I mean, their legs would be literally covered with giant leeches. And uh, they, they, at that point, they'd, they'd slowly walk up through the weeds. Now, there were birds that would fly around them that would love to eat these leeches. Birds would come whipping down and bang around and, and then peck away at the leeches. Uh, but it was, it was interesting to see, to see how quickly these leeches worked, how fast they moved. Uh, in spite of the fact they seem to have no life whatsoever. Uh, the, the first time I ever ran into a big-time leech was, uh, I was about, uh, again, as I say, I think that, that uh, your, your attitude towards nature is often governed by your early experiences with it. If you've lived in, in close proximity to nature, you're a different kind of guy. Uh, you appreciate it, but at the same time you know something about it, and uh, you, you, you accept it, you know, you, it's just part of your life. Well, when I was growing up, not more than, uh, not more than three blocks away from where we lived, and uh, we were living out in the suburbs, uh, really, really out in the suburbs, there was a, a great swamp that stretched for about eight or nine miles. This was a swamp that uh, was uh, an old, old swamp that was part of Lake Michigan, really. But it was a, a big, big swamp and a lot of water and uh, big tufts of cattails and, and uh, growths of reeds and stuff. And it was largely untrackable. It was, uh, it was not much. And there was even some quicksand in this area. Well, we would go down to the swamp uh, for reasons known only to kids. We would go to the swamp all the time and we would sing. We would sing for crawdads. Did you ever do that? Well, you know what a crawdad is. If you don't know what a crawdad is, it looks like a miniature lobster and a crawfish. And we would sing for crawfish. Now, why we want a crawfish, I have no idea. We would take crawfish and we would put them in fish bowls and keep them as pets. <laughs> That's what we did. And uh, you can feed a crawfish, by the way, and dead flies. He likes them. 
So uh, and pieces of hamburger. So we would go we would go crawfish seining. Well, uh, on this one particular day we were seining. We would we have have a gunny sack, which we use for a seine. What you do is take a gunny sack, you know, the big hundred pound gunny sack, and you just cut the sides, just slit the sides, and now you've got a long piece of uh, of uh, this gunny sack material. And uh, and at that point we would nail the two ends to to uh, boomsticks and two kids would you yeah make a great saying they really it really works as a saying believe me uh, so uh, we would we would we would scoop up this this uh, through the water we'd go running through the water about knee deep water and then we'd scoop towards the shore and you get maybe two or three maybe sometimes as many as twenty or thirty crawfish well the day that that Bruner ran into the giant leech remains today to be one of my great, uh, let's say, festering memories of benevolent Mother Nature, who we all know created butter instead of oleomargarine, right? So, uh, nevertheless, uh, Bruner, we scooped up like that, and Bruner comes walking out of the water. See, we're picking up the, we're picking up the crawfish, when all of a sudden, Schwartz says, what's that? And there, between Bruner's toes, is a leech that was roughly the size of your average bath mat. He was fantastic, black. Well, we struggled around, and we we finally got the leech off of Bruner, and the leech is laying on the ground, writhing around, you know, and Bruner began to bleed. You see, there's something that the leech injects into you that causes copious bleeding, and Bruner is bleeding like a stuck pig. <laughs> and it just poured out of him. I never saw, it was just like a, like a waterfall. Well, Bruder sat up on the shore. We went right back in water, see. But ever since that time, the, the legend of the great leech of the ancient swamp, I suspect that that would make a fantastic science fiction horror story. The attack of the giant leeches. You know, you know, you know, you know the usual thing. It shows, you open up the film with the, with the shot of uh, the A-bomb going off deep in the swamp because of radiation, a mutant was created. Man, once again, has been tampering with nature, and now nature is rampant and on the loose, and man will pay for his crimes. We have come from the planet Zircon, and we will rescue you only when you are, you know, you know the whole story. The giant 4,000-pound leech comes rolling out. Ah! 